0: Hello and welcome to Self Work. This is Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I live in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I'm so glad you're here with me today. I started Self Work about four years ago to try to address the stigma that still exists about mental health treatment. I wanted you to be able to hear what a psychologist might have to say. Maybe you're someone who's quite comfortable with psychological and emotional issues. Maybe you're already in therapy. Maybe you've just been diagnosed with something and you're asking a lot of questions. Or maybe there's a third group. You're someone who maybe even has said, I'll never darken the door of a therapist. But you're just curious enough to listen to a podcast like Self Work. So welcome to all of you. I heard something this week that led to this particular episode. It was an example of a therapist recommendation to one of their patients that led them to a remarkable change, an entire shift of perspective. And I think it happens to be hilarious because on the surface it's about dishes. Yes, you heard me, dishes in the sink. The story's actually been around for a while, at least two years. It was originally posted at Quora by a woman named Kate Scott, I tried to find her. The only thing I could find about her, she's an administrative assistant somewhere, but gosh, I was so glad that she decided to write about this. The title of her article is Run the Dishwasher Twice. Simple but very intriguing. I wish that somewhere the name of the therapist had been mentioned, but I couldn't find it. But one of my Facebook closed group members very aptly mentioned this particular post as a way of coping with the stress of the pandemic to try to look at your own life through a different lens and see how you could see your own struggles differently or perhaps challenge your own assumptions. The story made me laugh out loud that, of course, a therapist might suggest something that could turn your perspective completely around 180 degrees. And if it did, it could bring huge relief and a tremendous jump start to someone's hope for change. Because in this particular kind of example, You don't simply view the problem differently. You could even figure out that the problem might not be a problem after all. I've tried to do that myself many times, not just for my patients, but in my own work. Now, in graduate school, we learned about this concept or particular technique as called second-order change. And we'll talk about the difference between first-order and second-order change, not in too much detail, but so you can think of how it might apply to your own life. I'll also offer some real-life examples of folks who've made that second-order change and how it helped. There's nothing wrong, of course, with first-order change, but second-order change asks you to question and be creative a bit more. Thinking not just outside of the box, but whether or not the box even exists or could the box be seen differently. It's actually kind of fun when you get started. Our listener email today is from a woman who's writing about being dominated both at home and at work by men. I'll let you listen to her email and see what you think. I was struck by a couple of things and hope to offer ideas that will be helpful. So please relax wherever you are, as both you and I learn about challenging assumptions and what's called second-order change. Thanks again to BetterHelp for their support for this episode of Self Work. Their support actually partially funds the price of Self Work. So I especially appreciate their interest in this incredible offer they have for you. Challenging assumptions is one of the more dangerous but also exciting things a therapist does. Now, we all have lots of assumptions. Some of them are very helpful to us and are woven into who we are as people. They may even help us keep safe and prevent tremendous anxiety. Stable people assume the sun's going to come up tomorrow and that their house isn't going to get destroyed. Healthier people assume if they take care of themselves that that practice will be reflected in a better life. Now, that doesn't mean elite trainers don't have heart attacks or that a tornado can come out of a bad storm, but catastrophizing, predicting that the worst of the worst is going to happen, and then always needing to be vigilant about life getting out of control can be a terrible way to live. You might want to check out the episode 191, The 10 Most Common Mental Mistakes, aka Stinking Thinking, that I did now several weeks ago. We'll talk more about catastrophizing as well as other irrational or self-destructive thought patterns. But sometimes your assumptions can keep your life more chaotic or confusing or overwhelming or negative or boring than you prefer it to be. Why? Because you're living by rules that may no longer apply or could be changed or maybe a whole dynamic or situation could be seen differently. But first, you have to challenge those assumptions you're making. But what does that have to do with you? Enter the description of a conversation that Kate Scott, who I mentioned in the intro, had with her therapist back in 2018, and she wrote about on Quora and what the therapist had to say. I think you'll find it simple, but also incredibly powerful. She writes, When I was at one of my lowest mental points in life, I couldn't get out of bed some days. I had no energy or motivation and was barely getting by. I had therapy once per week, and on this particular week, I didn't have much to bring to the session. He asked how my week was, and I really had nothing to say. What are you struggling with? He asked. I gestured around me and said, I don't know, man. Life? Not satisfied with my answer, he said, no. What exactly are you worried about right now? What feels overwhelming? When you go home after this session, what issue will be staring at you? I knew the answer but it was so ridiculous that I didn't want to say it. I wanted to have something more substantial, something more profound, but I didn't. So I told him, honestly, the dishes. It's stupid, I know, but the more I look at them, the more I can't do them because I'll have to scrub them before I put them in the dishwasher because the dishwasher sucks and I just can't stand and scrub the dishes. I felt like an idiot even saying it. What kind of grown-ass woman is undone by a stack of dishes? There are people out there with actual problems, and I'm whining to my therapist about dishes. But my therapist nodded in understanding and then said, run the dishwasher twice. I began to tell him that you're not supposed to, but he stopped me. Why the hell aren't you supposed to? If you don't want to scrub the dishes and your dishwasher sucks, run it twice. Run it three times. Who cares? Rules do not exist, so stop giving yourself rules. It blew my mind in a way that I don't think I can properly express. That day, I went home and tossed my smelly dishes haphazardly into the dishwasher and ran it three times. I felt like I had conquered a dragon. The next day, I took a shower lying down. A few days later, I folded my laundry and put them wherever the F they fit. There were no longer arbitrary rules I had to follow, and it gave me the freedom to make accomplishments again. Now that I'm in a healthier place, I rinse off my dishes and put them in the dishwasher properly. I shower standing up, and I sort my laundry. The point here is not to take this literally, of course. Rules do exist. We stop at stop signs, and for ambulances, you brush your teeth for several health reasons. There are rules all over the place. But what the therapist was challenging was the shame she had for not doing the dishes instead of accepting her struggle and her issues with her dishwasher and finding another way to free herself up instead of wrapping herself tightly into such a state she was paralyzed and could see no other means to feel better or more empowered than chastising herself for not doing something she didn't seem able to do at that moment. She built that up in her mind as the rule she had to follow. She had to rinse off those dishes, and that can be a destructive assumption. It may not seem like rocket science, but it is amazing how when you challenge your assumptions, you can begin to dislodge your own paralysis. Think of all the movies we watch. That someone is in dire straits. I'll date myself here, but for example, the Indiana Jones movies. There's no way out for him, and miraculously, he challenged his assumptions and escaped. Again, it's a movie, but you can imprison yourself by not looking at things with a fresh perspective. We're going to talk more about this after hearing this generous offer from BetterHelp. So many thanks to them. BetterHelp has now been a sponsor of Self-Work for a few months, and I've been hearing how pleased you are with their services. I couldn't be more excited about that, as by now you know I'm a huge believer myself in the power of therapy. What is BetterHelp? It's an online therapy service that has earned the number one ranking for the quality of their service to their consumers. When you contact them, you are offered several different licensed professional therapists to choose from, all that have been vetted by BetterHelp. You can have sessions via video, text, or phone, and I found, because of course I checked it out before recommending it to you, that each therapist was very available, literally a text away, and made some of the same therapeutic suggestions to me that I'd offer myself as a therapist. Here's an excerpt from a listener who wrote in, I'm a 23-year-old living in Brazil. I'm only writing this message in order to express my gratitude towards you and your podcast. Having anxiety disorder, I always felt like I needed therapy, but I was too anxious to start it. With self-work, not only I've learned some valuable insights about dealing with my condition, but also the basics of how therapy sessions work, which allowed me to finally get some courage to start it. With the coronavirus pandemic, I'd also been concerned about attending personal sessions, but then I learned about better help in your podcast, and it sounded just perfect for what I needed. I've been getting online counseling from BetterHelp for six weeks now and I feel like it's been helping me a lot. That's just so wonderful to hear. And now, BetterHelp has a special offer for you. 10% off the first month of sessions if you use this link. Trybetterhelp.com slash selfwork. That's trybetterhelp, H-E-L-P selfwork. I'm never more honored than hearing someone sought therapy after listening to selfwork. And if selfwork is helping you, Maybe better help is your next step. Now I'm going to touch on what this phenomenon is called in the psychological literature. It's actually called second-order change. Here's a quote about it. Now this quote is from a sort of an organizational psychology article, but I think it helps. First-order change works within an existing structure and view of the world. You could view it as tinkering with the system, doing more or less of something, making an existing process better or more accurate, or making incremental changes. With first-order change, the end of the system remains the same, meaning where you're going. It's the means of producing those results that change. What you seek, what you avoid, the way you see the world, and your values remain the same. With first-order change, then, you're taking a problem that you start with and you're looking at the process that you've always followed to solve it and then making it faster or better, more efficient or less costly. Those are my words. Now we'll go back to their quote. Second-order change is often described as transformational, revolutionary, radical, disruptive or discontinuous. It involves seeing the world in a different way challenging assumptions, and working from a new and different world view That's why it made Kate Scott feel like she had conquered a dragon. Here, back to their quote. Inevitably, it involves new ways of doing things, changing values and goals, and probably structural change as well. This can be quite scary to most people, especially where changes are imposed from above or outside, and you don't have any input to them. I see that all the time. I see people from Walmart and Tyson a lot here in the Northwest Arkansas area. And they're always getting used to these shifts of focus and shifts of structure that just sort of come down from above. So let's apply these concepts of first and second order change into the mental health world. You might be stuck in your assumptions about what will fix something and not see the forest for the trees, as they say. When you think about it, second order change Is how you grow. For example, with me, instead of my anxiety being something I told myself I had to conquer or get rid of, finally I had a therapist who said, no, your anxiety is something you manage and learn from. It's just as important a part of you as the part of you you're proud of. Here's another example. Instead of feeling as if you have no options other than to stay in an abusive situation, you can challenge the assumptions such as, I'm not worth leaving for. Replace it with the assumption, I am worth leaving for. Now, what are my obstacles? You can hear how shame keeps you stuck. Just like not doing the dishes was keeping this young woman stuck. It's kind of like eating your dessert first. Who says you can't? Gosh, you know, the examples really run the gamut here. For ageism, for example, where, oh, 50-year-olds would never do this, or I'm too young to aspire to this. You're allowing age to dictate your assumptions, what's appropriate or not. Here's another one. Again, completely different topic. Let's say one of my patients says, I know I should exercise and I can't make myself. But if I lost weight, then I would feel like being with friends. But I've got to lose weight first. Look at their belief, their rule. Here's their assumption. Only when I am thinner do I feel good enough to be with friends or I'm worthy. Now, what would you say to someone else about that? Would you have your friends step on a scale and tell them they're not invited to be with you because they weigh more than they did the last time you saw them? No. You could turn this around. Just call one friend, do a FaceTime, set something up, but challenge the assumption that something about the number of pounds on a scale has to do with whether people love you and want to be with you. It does not. All you have to do is start moving the pendulum in some way, anyway and challenge the assumption that keeps you in shame and makes it seem impossible to live life more fully. Here's one more example that I might have used a 100 episodes ago, so if any of you remember it, my hat's off to you. Years ago, I worked with someone who'd left an abusive relationship after years of struggling with the decision. She got a very good job and actually was doing pretty well. But she came in one day and said, I'll never feel better about myself. I can still hear his words ringing in my ears, and they're just too loud. So kind of like the therapist in the story, I asked her, when she walked in her apartment after work, what was the first thing that she beat herself up about? Again, similar to the overwhelming question before, the therapist said, so what overwhelms you? And my patient smiled. She said, I know exactly what it is. I reach up to turn the light switch on that controls the ceiling light, and it's out. It's needed to be changed for weeks. After that, I stumble around and kick myself for not doing such a simple thing. So I asked her if she had light bulbs. No. Can you get bulbs? Yes. Do you know where to get bulbs? Yes. Do you have time to get bulbs? Yes, I can do it on my lunch break. Do you have a ladder? Yes. Can you reach the light if you're on the ladder? Yes. So her assignment for the week was to go get a bulb or two, assign herself a very specific time to get the ladder under the bulb, like perhaps early in the morning before she went to work, and then change the bulb. That was her only assignment. She returned to therapy the next week, coming in smiling. I did it. And how do you feel now? I said, so much better. But I don't know why. The why is that she challenged the assumption that there was nothing she could do about these voices in her head. No, those voices aren't going to go away for a while, but they don't have to prevent her from looking around her life and doing the small things that will help her feel better and more competent and more in control and will challenge the assumption that she's not worthy. Her shame was keeping her paralyzed. And in fact, the first step was as simple as changing a light bulb. And you can do it too. Our listener email for today is a written one. I'll read it to you. Happy really late night, Dr. M. I've recently started binging your podcast on Spotify. Welcome to all you Spotify folks. And I found it very helpful as I'm struggling both at work and at home right now. At work, my immediate supervisor is very much a power-driven, control-demanding male. He has taken many, actually all, of my duties away from me, thus putting me in my place and making me feel completely inadequate after having done my job for 11 years. While I was out due to COVID, he went as far as having someone clean out my storage closet, allowing very important, irreplaceable personal things To be thrown away. I have not confronted him directly because he will not speak to me, but I did address the person who threw the things away, and she said she was instructed to do so. My anxiety has been raging until I found your podcast. Now you are in my ear and helping to occupy my mind. I'm so thankful for that and very honored. At home, I struggle with feeling like I am enough for my husband. I do everything I can to make things perfect for him. After working all day, I cook, clean, laundry, take care of the bills, yard work, sex at the ready, but still feel like I'm not a priority for him. He tells me he loves me and that he knows he needs to tell me more often how he feels about me, but never follows through. Do you think I feel this way because I overcare, maybe due to my lack of self-esteem and spilling over feelings of inadequacy from work? or that I was selfish and expect some type of reciprocated show of love or gratitude to me in return for my work. P.S. In rereading this, there are a lot of I's, and now I'm wondering if the issues lie with me. Thank you for your time, and I look forward to your response. Wow, I mean, there's a lot there. My goodness. Hi, I'm so glad you wrote in because I have lots of ideas about your situation, at least some I hope will be helpful. I know the area in which you grew up because she had told me that. And I think that some of these issues may be cultural. She grew up in the Deep South. Maybe not, as your company may be more typically welcoming of females doing well and being rewarded and promoted along with men. But it strikes me that if this man's actions are supported by his supervisors, then there's a problem. I am far from a man basher. I know so many men who love well and who understand how women have been treated over the years and want that kind of injustice to be changed and are working hard on it themselves. In fact, I had Lewis Howes on a few weeks ago for the express purpose of reaching out to men who I know struggle just as much as women with insecurity. But what I'd like to ask you about, there's some reason that this guy at work needs to put you in your place, so to speak. What could be those reasons that have nothing to do with you? This is a question I'd really like for couples to ask themselves in order to try to stop personalizing what's going on. I know when he cleans out your storage area, it's hard not to take that personally, and I totally get that. But it actually can take a lot more energy to stonewall someone, which he's doing, which means to not talk to or avoid talking to you. It takes more energy than it does to include them or treat them nicely. So he's using up all that energy, and there's something else going on. I don't exactly know how figuring that out might help, but it certainly sounds as if he's very authoritarian. I always like to ask myself why. It's easy for people to tell you, I just get another job, but especially with COVID going on, it's extremely hard to do. So trying to detach yourself as much as you can, allow him to play out whatever he's playing out. Of course you're angry anybody would be, so try to take back your power. He can take duties away from you, but not your inner power. And see how things pan out. As far as your personal circumstances, no. I don't think you're being selfish. It sounds as if you're breaking your back to take care of everything, and there's little to no gratitude or reciprocation. We have expectations of general kindness and respect from everyone, When you check out at the grocery store, you expect the person behind the counter to enter things correctly, to be reasonably polite, to ask if you'd like your receipt. And that's a person you don't probably even know. So how should you not have expectations of kindness and generosity from your partner? That's not being selfish. That's being self-aware. The cultural aspect of your region might be important here as well. Of course, I'm not sure. Perhaps he's acting just like his father did. So it doesn't realize there's another way. But obviously, you have a right and a reason to be angry and to feel very lonely in your relationship. There's an older book, Women Who Love Too Much, that immediately comes to mind. But also there's one that sold over 4 million copies and it's called Boundaries. And I have the link in your show notes. It looks to be the kind of book that's going to teach you how to set boundaries, even with people who don't want you to set them. And believe me, they probably will not be welcome when you first start. But perhaps you could use these ideas both at home and at work. Please take care and good luck to you. It's never too late to grow. And of course, it's nice to chat with a Southerner. There's something about the pine and oak trees down there that anywhere I smell or see them, they still make me feel at home. You know, there's a huge difference between being selfish, self-aware, and self-centered, which I've also written about and done a podcast about. You might look for that in the search on my website. Thanks so much for tuning in. I've received some wonderful ideas for future podcasts from you over the last few weeks, and I'm adding those in. One listener wants me to talk about OCPD, or obsessive compulsive personality disorder. And I thought along with that, I'd cover some of the less well-known personality disorders in that episode. Another listener would love to hear about what adult children of divorce have in front of them. And of course, probably a lot of that has to do with how your parents got along after the divorce and what kind of relationship you had with each parent after that as well. I'll look forward to providing those episodes for you. Again, thank you so much to those of you, and there are a lot of you who've really added to the ratings and reviews of both my book, Perfectly Hidden Depression, How to Break Free from the Perfectionism that Masks Your Depression, and you've left me now 135, that's up from 125 when I just talked about it last time, ratings and reviews. It means the world to me. And I love hearing what you actually have to say in a written review about the book, what you liked about it what you found intriguing, what part of yourself was challenged by the book. I love reading about that. And then, of course, to those of you now reaching 870 who've left ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, thank you so much. And again, welcome to those of you from Spotify and iHeartRadio and Player FM. Our numbers are growing I think by the time this month is over, we will have reached 95,000 downloads for this month alone. <laughs> it's amazing to me. So thank you for being with me on this journey. You can reach out to me at Ask Dr. Margaret at drmargaretrutherford.com. You can go over to my website at drmargaretrutherford.com and subscribe there. You can subscribe on Apple podcast or wherever you listen, but you can subscribe there as well and get a weekly newsletter. That's it. That will include a message from me, my weekly blog post, and the weekly podcast. It's a really easy way of keeping in touch with me. Please join me over at Instagram. I'm having fun over there. Again, it's Instagram.com slash Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And I'd love to invite you to join me at my closed group, Facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We're a widely diverse group and warm and caring with one another. We ask each other for friendship, for laughter, for empathy and sincerity, and we'd love to have you with us. Again, that's facebook.com slash groups slash self Thank you again for joining me. Take very good care. Stay safe and healthy. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.